Okay, let's go to uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 6, although we'll be reading from chapter 5, but we'll go to chapter 6. And um, I want to preach the beginning of a a series, the Lord willing, over the period of when I'm allocated to preach, but however however long it takes. But I want to speak about spiritual foundations, or as the scripture refers to it, the elementary principles of Christ, the elementary principles of Christ. And really, just in that statement alone, the implication is the ABCs or the basics of Christian faith and Christian doctrine. And it is very important that we do understand um, the foundations of our faith and our practice of our faith. And um, it's imperative that uh, we have a correct understanding and application of these things so that we are well established in the faith in order to proceed unto maturity in Christ. And so over the next however many weeks uh, we'll continue through this in chapter 6 and the various aspects that are listed there. But what I want to do is go back first and lay a bit of a foundation as we take into context the uh, chapter 6 itself because in verse 1 it says therefore. So it's obviously connecting the previous verses and so as we look at the context of all these things it's important for us to go back and lay a bit more of a foundation, establish the context of the text that we'll be considering in the weeks ahead. Now... (coughs) We're going to look at, well, as we consider these things, it's important for us to understand certain aspects that relates to the book of Hebrews itself. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, obviously the whole book has its context, uh, the text that we're even going to consider has all of its context in relation to the book itself, but Hebrews comes into the category of what we know as, what is known as the, the, the Hebrew epistles and from Hebrews on to the book of Revelation we have uh, I think there's eight there eight epistles that really have their target and focus for the most part and primarily speaking to Jewish believers and so uh, it's that's important for us to understand and uh, and put it into context because uh, not that that diminishes in any way its application to the Gentile church because uh, although it has a, a primary and fundamental application to those to whom it was written in terms of the Hebrew Christians, uh, by extension it has an application to us as Gentiles, as the church itself, uh, of us being grafted in to the church of Jesus Christ made up of Jew and Gentile. And so the whole issue of the church is in focus as we consider these particular things uh, over the weeks ahead and as it relates to the book of Hebrews itself. Now, one of the the things that we need to also take into consideration as we uh, uh, consider this particular book is the Hebrew Christians were at a place where they were seriously entertaining and contemplating uh, turning from Christ and going back under the law of Moses. 
And so as they, obviously in their zeal for Christ, in those initial years or whatever it was of their, of their faith and salvation, they were now being, uh, obviously false teachers were there, people were coming in um, and trying to emphasise the need to keep the law of Moses because that's uh, obviously important to, uh, uh, in relation to, to Christ as so they would say. But um, uh, so they were tempted. They were being tempted to, to lapse and uh, turn back to certain aspects of Judaism. And so that's also important for us to understand as a key component to uh, who Paul is. I'm going to call Paul the writer of this epistle, okay? As I've done a bit more further study, um, I think to some degree we can comfortably say that. And so rather than just referring in the general to the writer, we'll say Paul, okay? Is that Okay. All right. <laughs> and so um, as Paul is writing, he's mindful of these particular things. <clears throat> and what we're beginning to see as you read the book of Hebrews itself is uh, the emphasis is being made of the superiority of Christ over the, the Lord Moses, the superiority of the new covenant in relation to the old covenant. And so because everything that pertains to, to the Old Testament, to the Old Covenant, is a shadow, but the substance is Christ. And so this is uh, being emphasised over and over and over again. I believe on 13 occasions uh, the word better is being used because when you consider Christ in the New Covenant, uh, it is better, amen, than the Old or the First Covenant that was established in Moses. And so, um, so why is the argument, why would you even want to entertain a thought to go back when that which is perfect has come in Christ and the covenant that we have in the New Testament and all that pertains to it? So, um, it's in, in light of that context that it is being written. That's why later at the conclusion uh, they are exhorted to go outside the camp and bear the reproach because for the Hebrew to embrace the fullness of Christ and to then reject the, uh, or to put away those things that were that made up so much of their life and their traditions and everything that they practiced and lived would bear a great reproach to them. But as Christ went outside the camp, they too exhorted, put away all those things, get outside the camp and identify with Christ. Now that's, in, in, in a nutshell, some of the things that are being touched upon. But these principles that are addressed and the things that are spoken of, they have application to us as Christians uh, uh, and specifically, and that's what we want to grasp and touch upon over the course of the weeks that are ahead. What's also interesting is the elementary principles that we will consider, they all find their root in the Old Testament anyway. And so those things that will be listed in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, which is not our consideration right now, but all those things find their foundation within the Old Covenant. And so, again, but they are fulfilled in Christ Jesus and find their ultimate application in Him. And so, uh, in light of those things, we want to consider the preceding verses. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 to 14 before we progress. So let's Turn there and let's read from verse 12. Because you, these are some interesting words that Paul's putting forth. For though by this time 
you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we have here what we can call spiritual immaturity that Paul is addressing. Spiritual immaturity. He's writing to these Christians, these Hebrew Christians, and he's he's, he's making an identification of their spiritual immaturity. He says in verse 12, For though by this time, by this stage of your Christian walk, you ought to be teachers. Not in a sense as I'm here this morning, but he's speaking in the context of an ability to be able to explain the fundamentals of Christian faith and living. You should have a grasp of the fundamentals of the doctrines of Christ and be able to instruct and uh, and teach others in order to lead them to Christ and to a greater maturity themselves in Christ Jesus. And so, though you ought to be teachers now, he says you need someone again to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God and you've come to need milk and not solid food. They need to be taught the first principles again. And he makes the comparison by, uh, by making reference to the need of milk as compared to solid food. See, that's pretty self-explanatory and paints the picture clearly because uh, when we talk about milk, we're talking about, uh, uh, we're using an analogy here, in solid milk and solid food. So what does a babe uh, eat when it's first born? We saw baby Ruth here this morning. You can't go putting solid food in there. You know what I'm saying? You've got to do some damage. You can't digest it yet. So, you have the issue of milk. Milk is for a newborn baby. But see, when Ruth's about 15, you don't want her just drinking milk anymore, do you? Or five. Or even two. Okay? Actually, we'll go back. <laughs> Because at some point of time, you have to progress to solid food. You have to learn to digest this stuff because it's going to help in your development and growth because it won't, the milk will, although it provides all those necessary things in those first instances, it will not sustain you and ultimately bring you to proper physical growth in that sense. And the same application applies spiritually. This is why Paul's using this analogy in relation to spiritual growth. And so we have the issue of a baby that has milk and a, uh, a mature person, I guess you want to call it, that, um, that has need for solid food. But look, let's go back a little bit further because why are they in this state of spiritual immaturity as Paul refers to in verse 12? If you track back and you look at verse 11, you find the expression here, it says, because... You have become dull of hearing. You have become dull of hearing. 
Now, this word dull literally means to become sluggish, or the word literally means to be lazy. And this relates to how they are hearing the word of God. He says, you have become dull of hearing. Isn't it interesting? And we know that because you can, uh, you can speak to, again, kids are another example of this. Or, um, you can speak to a child uh, and they hear, but they're not listening. And so, and so you've got to get their attention uh, so that you can ensure that they are hearing and what you're saying is going into their head. Because though they, you are in earshot, they are not receiving what is being spoken. See, this is the same thing, dull of hearing. You're in church, you're hearing the word of God, but it's not penetrating, it's not going deep into the spirit, and more so, it's not being applied into your life. And the spiritual condition is you've become dull of hearing, you've become sluggish, you've become lazy in relation to your spiritual walk and your relationship with God. Now, this is not a good place to be, obviously. And yet we can all find ourselves in such a place if we're not careful. But Paul has been talking, even in the previous verses, he's been talking about the uh, order of Melchizedek and highlighting the high priesthood of Christ. And so when you look at these things, just those phrases in and of itself is really, that's, that in and of itself is solid food to understand uh, the, the whole concept of Melchizedek as it relates to Genesis and, and Abraham and how it applies to Christ and all of those things, uh, that's solid food for the Christian. This is what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to unpack Old Testament types and show them how all of these things point, uh, all of these things are, uh, are, are, are a shadow and here is Christ and here he is uh, uh, fulfilling the high priesthood of God according to the order of Melchizedek and so forth. But he says, I've got so much to say about this, but I can't explain it to you because you've become dull of hearing. You can't digest this type of teaching. You can't digest this solid food. And you can't go on as a result to spiritual maturity. See, this book, the deeper things of God, amen, this Old, this Old Testament, this Bible, the, the Old Testament is... Is, is full of Christ. It is so rich to be able to read these things. And I had one man once text me and he said, yeah, we need to focus on the New Testament and, and not focus on the Old Testament. But, uh, but yet, uh, and I wrote back and said, to the degree that Christ is in the Old Testament, amen, he was comparing the Old Testament and the New Testament to the bitter and the sweet. And I thought, that's wrong. Because when you see Christ in the Old Testament, he's nothing but sweet. Amen? And when you begin to see the deeper things of God, and as, as it's concealed in the Old Testament, and the whole New Covenant is, uh, is rooted in there, uh, all you do is you see everything as a shadow of Christ, and you rejoice, and you feed on the solid food. The solid food of Scripture, up until then, you're just kind of reading and going, oh gosh, that's good. It's just a book of history, history, history. It's much more than a book of history. And Paul wants to uh, unveil to them some of these things as it relates to Christ. But they've become dull of hearing. They can't digest these things. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is the fundamental principle that relates to going on to perfection or that relates to Christian maturity? What is a fundamental principle Characteristic of our lives or principle 
in our spiritual walk, it relates to spiritual maturity. And I tell you it is this. It relates to the issue of obedience. Look at verse 9. Go back again. It's talking about Jesus, though he was a son. Verse 8, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obedience is critical. Obedience is so important because if we're going to move into maturity in Christ, uh, as much as we hear all of these things, we must apply all of these things. And so the issue of obedience is, is critical to spiritual maturity and development as a Christian. Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And it's the sufferings of our Christian experience that bring forth obedience many times. And if, if, if the same principle applied to Christ, then how much more will it apply to us? But this is the issue of obedience. See, obedience is the pathway to spiritual maturity. Obedience. It's not knowledge. Obedience is the pathway to spiritual maturity. You can have knowledge. You can be filled with knowledge of the, of, of the Bible. You can have so much knowledge, but unless that has been computed into actual experience and application into your life, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, you can still be spiritually immature. Because spiritual maturity comes from obedience and taking responsibility. And responsibility, amen, brings about maturity. You see, that's why James, in, in his epistle, in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, uh, uh, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, because you can hear, but if you have become dull of hearing, then you are not applying what you are hearing and therefore you are not being a doer of the word. And so how can you move to in, 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 in spiritual maturity in Christ if you're not applying the, the word of God to your life and, you're, and, and striving in obedience to please the Lord and do what is acceptable before him? So can you see this principle here? It's important because it, it is what distinguishes the mature from the immature. It all relates to the application of God's word, applying God's word to our lives. But the dull of hearing can be in church every week. You can come to church and you can hear the preacher. You say, oh, this is wonderful. You know, God says to Ezekiel, they come before you and they, they love to hear you speak. But if there's just one problem, they just don't do it. They don't do what they hear. They love to hear, but they don't do what they hear. And so this is what James, when he says that, he's really reflecting on Ezekiel, where God speaks Ezekiel uh, the same thing. And this principle applies to the Christian as well, because even in church we can hear these things, but the question is, are you applying it to your Christian life? Are you walking uh, worthy before the Lord? Now, I remember when I first became a Christian, I, my, after a period of time, after I was settled in the church and that, 
pastor was speaking with me and he said, you know, Gary, he goes, when you first came to church, he goes, I never knew what you were thinking in your head. <laughs> because I used to sit there and I was very, very intent. I used to lean forward and he goes, you had this serious face. I've still got it. <laughs> and, so, and so I used to sit there and he goes, I never knew what you were thinking. But I, I, and I'm, I'm like, okay, all I remember, I was sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the pew, and I tell you, I was hanging off every word that was coming from his mouth, from the word of God. And so I was so locked in, I had ears to hear, and I was absorbing every word that came forth in, in such a way. And he realized that later, but at the time he was like, you know, does this guy want to kill me, or is he want to, what's going on there? You know, but to be intently listening. Because as a preacher, you learn very quickly the difference between those that are listening and those that are not. You know? <laughs> those that are engaged and those that are not. There are certain things you pick up on and see as, you, as you're ministering from the pulpit. So, anyway, so we're talking about being dull of hearing. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting because Paul, in accusing them of becoming dull of hearing, he's, he's actually saying to them, the problem is, uh, this is an indictment against them as hearers because he says the problem is, is that you're in this place because uh, it was an acquired condition. It was something that they had developed in their own lives. It just didn't happen haphazardly. And uh, it was something that they were responsible for. You've become dull of hearing. And so that's why it, you have various warnings in the book of Hebrews, you know, where you say, you know, uh, don't drift away. There's warnings against uh, uh, disobedience and neglect of the greatest salvation. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't harden your hearts. Uh, and so in the rebellion. And you find all of these words. Because when you become dull of hearing and you're not hearing the word of God and you're not obeying the word of God, then there's danger. Blessed, uh, that's blessed that we drift away. Blessed, so and you find that word blessed at various points throughout the book of Hebrews as a warning of the consequences of that. But in saying all of that, I want to look a little bit further at the issue of spiritual immaturity here again because look at verse 12 as we read it he says for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you've come to need milk and not solid food you see they have failed to mature is what Paul is saying to them but let me just say this milk's not bad in actual fact the Bible tells us uh, in uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Desire the pure milk of God's word that you may grow thereby. And so uh, it has its place. Milk has its place in Christian growth and development. But you see, in this instance, they, 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 he says, you need to, You've come to need milk and not solid food, meaning that, that it was an indictment because they should have been at a place to be able to digest this, this solid food. Now look at verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk, you see, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
A baby is unskilled in the word of righteousness. And so everyone who partakes only of milk is in that category of being unskilled. And in one sense, it can be perfectly natural, and in another sense, it can be perfectly unnatural. It all depends on how you are responding to God, where you're at in your Christian walk and in your Christian life. Because I've met people who have been a Christian for one year, and I've met people who have been a Christian for ten years, and why is it that that person that's been a Christian for one year seems more advanced than the person because they have a, they are applied what they hear. Very important. But verse 13 picks up on those two stages of growth. And we've looked at this, one being a baby, and that relates to the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. In it here it says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, and so for he is a babe. Now, there is a legitimate uh, uh, drinking of milk in which we, when we first become Christians, we begin to learn about the great doctrines of the Bible. We begin to learn about the foundations of Christian faith, the foundations of Christian living. And so we are, we are feeding off the milk of God's word. We are being established as a babe in Christ. But we are unskilled in the word of righteousness. But you know what? As we, do, as we are taught, we develop in that. And this, has, this word of righteousness, I believe, has a twofold application. First of all, it's important when you become a Christian that you understand that the righteousness of God has been imputed to you. That you are not saved by works. There's nothing that you've done to earn your salvation. Righteousness is not something that you have acquired because you're a good person or any of those things, but it's understanding the gospel. It's understanding the imputation of God's righteousness that we are, have been declared righteous in Him and how reassuring that is. Amen? Because that's the foundation that we have to have. Actually, for those that don't have that foundation... People become Christians and they still feel like they've got to earn God's favour and please Him because they're still not accepted by Him. But the moment, amen, that you are in Christ, born again, you are declared holy and blameless in Him. And so this is our position. It's imperative that people are grounded in that as a babe so that they can have a, a right foundation of their position in Christ in moving forward onto maturity. Otherwise, they proceed on a false premise and I know this personally, and I'm sure many can in some way relate to it, where you feel as though you've got to try and do all these things to, to please God and be accepted by Him until later you fall on your face 1,001 times and you learn what the grace of God is. And you learn, oh my gosh, look at my position in Christ. This is who I am. And in, in faith you are, you are grounded in these principles. That's one aspect of the word of righteousness. The second one, is also has a remember this twofold application. It is how to apply the word of righteousness. Because you see, as a Christian, it's great that you've been declared righteous. It's great that you have your positional righteousness in Christ. But you see, what happens is that we can fall into this trap like they did at Ro in Romans, and Paul had to address in relation to the grace of God. Well, let's just continue to sin. Let's just continue to do what we want. Let's just continue to live and feed our flesh. Because you know what? I'm righteous in Christ. I've got God's grace. So it's all good, right? No. Because the word of righteousness, and this is the difference between Romans 3 and as it builds into Romans 6, is that you have to practice righteousness. Huh? 
Because the word of righteousness means that you've got to practice righteousness. Not to earn righteousness, because, but because you are righteous. And so you've got to begin to live righteously. Now, I didn't say perfectly, because none of us are going to attain to that. But we must, uh, we must make a genuine effort and a, and a genuine attempt as a result of bearing fruit to God as God's Spirit lives in us and empowers us and works in us that we don't have to be slaves of sin anymore. That we can now begin to live a life of righteousness and bear the fruit of righteousness, yield unto God and bear fruit. This is what Romans 6 talks about. You can read it for yourself. And so now I'm going to have to begin to live my life in such a way that I'm practicing righteousness. And if you're, and so as you go along as a Christian, you say, oh, I'm just a babe. That's not good enough anymore. It's time to digest some solid food. It's time to discern, as we'll see, the difference between good and evil. It's time to judge what's right and what's wrong. It's time to judge what's acceptable and not acceptable Christianness. Because the Word of God is clear, folks. This is a guideline how to live. It's a guideline on how to walk worthy before the Lord, finding out what those things are are acceptable to Him. And that has to be our approach. We have to be striving towards these things as we continue to walk in obedience to Him. So we have that which relates to the word of righteousness. And the second aspect is being a holy life and practicing righteousness. And this is is what we call sanctification, really. It's the development of Christian, Christian maturity as we mature in the Lord. You see, the scripture says solid food in verse 14. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Solid food belongs to those who are mature or maturing in terms of our growth in the Lord. You see, what characterizes maturity? Or the word here is full age. What characterizes it? It tells us. Verse 14. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Have their senses exercised. See, by reason of use have their senses exercised. This is not talking about your physical senses, although this incorporated to some degree, absolutely. We're talking about a spiritual sense, a sense in which we are able to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is acceptable and what is unacceptable before the Lord. Because Now listen to this. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. This word exercise is, is literally is the same word in the Greek gymnazo, which means uh, we understand gym. What do you do in a gym to get physically fit? Do you just walk into a gym and it just goes bang? It just, I wish it was like that, huh? Physically? It doesn't. It takes effort. The same applies spiritually. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but this spiritual profits and exceeds much more. 
So God, the Word of God is telling us to exercise ourselves towards godliness. And if you want to understand the word exercise, understand it in its original application physically and know then how much is involved. And yet we are told to take that principle and apply it spiritually. Obviously with the right foundation and understanding. But that still has to be our attitude. We have to, by reason of use, have our senses exercised. But it's not just, another word that we find in the text in verse 14, have their senses exercised to discern. To discern. Now this is very important, the word that's being used here. The word in the Greek means to be, uh, it means a judicial estimation. A judicial uh, estimation. It comes from the root word in the Greek, dikrino. I'm saying it right or wrong, doesn't matter. It means this, it means to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, to oppose, to discriminate. So in other words, you're saying, you're saying are you Christians, you think you're better than us? No, you're just judging what's right and what's wrong. This is what the word means, to have your senses, your spiritual senses exercised to discern. See, the sad thing is, is when Christians can't discern what's good and evil. What's wrong and what's right? You haven't exercised your spiritual senses to the point of maturity in Christ so you can't discern and God's telling you that you must discern. You have to decide and you have to judge what is right and what is wrong. That's not my my place to judge. Yes, it is. You have to discern what's good and evil. You have to discern what's right and wrong and what's acceptable. Am I going to watch this movie? I'm going to get get down to where we live. What are we watching on the TV? Are we discerning what we're watching? (laughs) Are we discerning what we are um, um, uh, listening to? Are we discerning all the things that we are partaking of? Because, you see, it's in this context that we have to uh, make these applications. And we're talking about a judicial estimation of things. It involves choices. It involves judging. And we have to exercise our senses to discern. You have to apply the Word of God. You have to consider these things. You have to weigh them together. And you have to make a judgment of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is acceptable, what is unacceptable before the Lord. And we're constantly being confronted with choices. Constantly. Every day we go about our lives and we're faced with situations, circumstances and instances. And we always have to choose. So what I would say is is this. The level of your obedience to righteousness shows forth your level of maturity. The level of your obedience to righteousness shows forth your level of maturity in Christ. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, are our faculties being trained? Are we growing? Are we maturing as Christians? Because this is what the, the, uh, the, the text is talking about. Okay? Sure, it has an application to the, to the Hebrew Christians, but how much more as well as we take these principles and apply them to us as a church and to us as Christians, does it have an application to us? And so, we're, I, and, I, and let me understand, make this statement. We're all at different stages. I accept that too. You know, 
um, where God speaks to us in relation to different things, in relation to reasons why what can be an issue for you might not be an issue for me. I understand various aspects and applications of this. But what I'm saying is, is that we all have to be sensitive to God. We all have to be obedient to the Lord. And we all have to discern what's good and evil. We have to exercise our senses because otherwise you'll compromise in such a way that you'll, you'll compromise your Christian testimony. You'll compromise um, your, 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 your representation of Christ. So we have these elementary principles. Verse 14, again it says, Be, but solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So this is the foundation. Now, I'm, I, I know that none of us here would want to be considered dull of hearing. And I'm sure none of us here want to fail to reach maturity as God would have us. And so why is it, as, uh, as we consider in closing, why is it that people do fail to mature in, in, in the faith? Because, you know, God doesn't fail. So why is it that we fail? I think this Hebrews itself gives us a few indicators for this that I want to just close with and just give us some food for thought. But the, the reality is, is that uh, spiritual failure does happen. So we've got to understand how and why some of these things occur. So if you go back to Hebrews chapter 2, it says in verse 2, here's the first principle of why people fail to reach maturity. It has to do with they neglect the greater salvation. Now look at verse 2. For the word spoken through angels, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect or ignore so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? And so here you have the first application. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So it's neglecting, it's ignoring these fundamental truths of Christian faith. There's a second reason why we fail to mature. It's found in chapter 3, verse 12 of Hebrews. It says in verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief is another principal factor that people fail to mature in Christ. It's their, it's their neglect, it relates to their unbelief. And there's a third factor. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, where it says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Neglect, which is a result of our, it's our fault, dull of hearing. There's the issue of unbelief. And there's the issue of disobedience. And you know, this might sound harsh, and I, and I, I don't say it to mean it this way. I just, because it, it's, it's, a, it's a reality, especially as pastors and anyone who, who ministers and serves and just wants to counsel people, because you deal with people over and over again in life, and sometimes you wonder why. Why are, why, why are they, not right to no change? Why are they not progressing? What's going on? You know, and I'm, I'm telling them all the right things. 
what's happened. Or are they failing to apply God's will? And they'll fall into one of these three categories as we've just spoken about here in Hebrews. Select, disobedience, or unbelief. And that is what holds people sometimes captive and in a in place of immaturity as a Christian. You see, it's funny because when God took Israel, the Jews, uh, Israelites out of Egypt, he was very sensitive to the fact that uh, how vulnerable they were. And he provided for them with the fire and the, and, and, uh, and the cloud and the food and the water and, and the manna from heaven and all those things. That, and yet they still refused to trust God. That's what Hebrews talks about, doesn't it? They still refused to trust him. And, um, and as a result, they saw themselves as victims. But God said to them, no, you're not victims. You've just refused to trust me. Isn't it? He says, and they said, no, they said our children will be victims. And God said, well, wait and see, because I'm going to bring those victims in, but you're going to stay out. And they failed to reach maturity. They failed to enter into the promised land. And so these things are examples for us we don't fall into the same category. And so I pray that we can see here some of these things. You see, what we need to do is not be dull of hearing. We can't afford to be lazy in the Christian life. And let's be honest, it's tempting for all of us. We have to keep pressing on. We have to keep moving forward. There's a, there's a particular word in the scripture, it's the word diligence. And in the book of Proverbs, it says, Diligence is man's precious possession. Diligence. In Hebrews 4.11, it says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Diligent to enter rest? That sounds like a contradiction. How much effort do you have to apply to be enter into that rest? Be diligent to enter into that rest. Diligence is man's precious possession. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, we are exhorted not to be lazy, not to be dull, but we are exhorted to be diligent. As Peter says to us in verse 5, chapter 1, 2 Peter, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be diligent. If I can turn your attention just back to Hebrews 6. Go to verse 12. It says, Paul writes, or verse 11 actually, verse 11 and 12, sorry. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence with the full assurance of hope until the end. You see, we can talk about the full assurance as Brother Sam did in his testimony in relation to the song. But you have to lay hold of that, amen? You have to be diligent as we sing about it, as you know, and the person that wrote that, that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, he, was, he had to be diligent in uh, uh, laying a hold of these things and then writing what he did. Because in the circumstances of life and the experiences and the sufferings of life, you know, it's very easy to just kind of give up, to become sluggish, to just drop the ball, 
Well, I give up. It's too hard, you know. I didn't think it was going to be like this, being a Christian. But the, the Bible says, be diligent. Be diligent to the full assurance of hope until the end. Now look at verse 12. That you do not become sluggish. It's the same word as in, in, chap- in chapter 5, verse 11, dull. That you do not become dull, or you do not become lazy, or you don't become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Imitate them. And we have them in Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 11. And they are examples. We look to them and we see the things that they suffered. We look at Christ and he, though he was a son, we look at what he suffered. And we haven't resisted to bloodshed, have we? You think we got it bad? Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And, 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 and lay a hold in full assurance of hope until the end. Be diligent. Amen. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't pull back. Don't uh, become sluggish. This is what the scripture says. Don't become lazy. But you know what? When you feel at your worst, when you physically just want to give up, and everything inside you physically and emotionally is saying, I just can't do it. You know what? You get up and you praise God. And I tell you, that is spiritual maturity. Praise the Lord. Let us go on. Having said all that, I'll leave it there, but we want to look in chapter 6 at the elementary principles which start because the scripture says in verse 1 let us go on to perfection let us go on to maturity that's what it's saying let us not remain spiritually mature let us not continue to feed off the milk of God's word let's begin to digest the solid food let's begin to feed it let's begin to practice and that's what we want to do as we consider next Sunday Amen let's pray Father we just thank you this morning for the word of God, for the truth of your word is living and powerful. We just thank you, God, that your word gives us revelation, instruction, guidance. And Lord, uh, all of us that are gathered, we just don't want to be hearers, Lord. We want to be doers of your word. Help us, Lord, to make application of these things in our lives, I pray. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless your people. Bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name.